0: But I want, to, I want to talk to you tonight about the revival of the fittest. The revival of the fittest. You know, we talk about the survival of the fittest. That's the one who's the strongest, the most healthy, the most intelligent, that's able to maneuver their way through difficult things. And, but this is different tonight. And I'm going to tell you that we are in revival time. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. I want to take a moment and say how thankful I am for Brother Daniel and Sister Sarah. I had a family emergency. I had to leave, and while I was gone, she got the Holy Ghost Sunday morning. Come on, somebody. The angels are rejoicing over that. And I understand on Sunday morning she's going to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Come on, somebody. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. You may be seated. I'm going to start slow and finish fast, all right? right. I have to tell you that I've spent my life pursuing revival. Not just individually, but collectively around the country and around the world. We have tried, my family and I have tried to. find that niche in the kingdom to where we could create the move of God that would excite a church and renew a pastor and his wife and their family and turn a church away from where they were to where they needed to go. And i got to tell you something, that we're living in very desperate times. We're living in times where as, and I'm not not—I'm not going to beat a dead horse tonight, but I looked around this congregation tonight at the empty seats where normally there are people that are not here. And I want you to know we need to pray for the church. Come on, somebody. Say, oh, well, Bishop, it's vacation time. It's summertime. Listen to me. There is nothing more important than being in the house of the Lord in the presence of God. I read a little something. Scottish poet Robert Burns said it this way Would some power give us the gift to see ourselves as others see us? It's a gift most of us need to receive more often. We all want to believe the best about ourselves, and that's natural. And it's even healthy. But it's also healthy to have someone hold the mirror in front of your face and say, this is what you really look like. It can be a very instructive experience. We all want to believe the best. But there are times when... Spiritual progress begins when we see ourselves as God sees us. It's one thing when a friend says, this is what you look like. It's another thing for God to utter those words. I find myself tonight in a real dilemma. Because I understand, I think, where God wants us to go. I believe that I understand what God wants us to do. But the issue is, how do we all get there together? I uh, oftentimes around the country... I have men who I respect and love dearly that will say to me, Bishop, I want you to speak into my life. If there's something that God speaks to you, I want you to tell me. It doesn't matter what it is. I want you to speak to me and tell me. And I have to tell you that that's a great, great responsibility to be able to say this is what God is saying to me for you. But I want to tell this church, and I want you to know, that God still has this church in my heart every day. What it takes to get to where we're going, I think about it every day. But I've come to the understanding that we can sometimes fool even our closest friends But it's impossible to fool the Lord. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13. Forgive me for paraphrasing, but I want you to get this. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him. To whom we must give account. He knows what we say behind closed doors. The secret thoughts that no one else could hear, the hidden motives, the buried ambition, and all the twists and turns of our sinful nature. He doesn't have to uncover our thoughts. He knows our thoughts. Well, Let me say it again. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what your motivation is. And God is crying out to His church in this last day. I'm looking for a people who are willing to go to the furthest extent possible. To have the revival that I'm desiring to pour out upon you in this hour. I, uh, this is a sermon about revival. Let's start with the word itself. I know you've heard it before. But you revive something... When you bring it back to life, you can't revive something that's never been alive in the first place. That's why revival is different from evangelism. Evangelism is preaching the gospel to the lost that they might be saved. Revival, everybody shout revival. Revival awakens the saved. From a state of spiritual slumber. I'm fixing to put you on the spot. Because I'm the bishop and I can. I want to see the hands of everybody in this building. More than just praying over breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That you have time every day that you pray. Put your hand up right now. Come on, I'm not trying to, this is not... I'm not trying to hurt anybody. I want to see the hands of everybody in this building that you take at least one day a week and you push away from the table and fast. Just stay with me. I told you I'm not going to be mean. I'm just trying to tell us we need God to help us. I, I want to see the hands of everybody in this building that you are intentional that as you go your way every day that you're looking for somebody to share the gospel with. Come on, it's alright. Don't be ashamed. We're not recording your picture, so don't, don't worry about that. I'm just trying to, trying to get us somewhere here tonight. Revival awakens... The saved from a state of spiritual slumber. When God sends revival, the church wakes up. Or to give a more formal definition, revival is the sovereign act of God whereby He calls backsliding people to repentance, faith, and a new obedience to Him. God sent me here on this Wednesday night to tell the church revival is God's wake-up call and God is trying to awaken us. Come on. It's more than talent. It's more than a good choir. It's more than a good message. It's when the people of God awaken on an individual and collective basis to say my first goal today is to get into the presence of the Lord and get a hold of God and find His will for me today. I grew up in a church tradition that emphasized revival meetings. Yes, sir. Usually, week long gatherings where a visiting minister would challenge us spiritually. Sister Bingham, I remember, I remember sitting with rapt attention as Bill Berryhill oh, yeah. preached. Night after night after night I remember I'll never forget it as long as I live and today the police would probably come haul him out because some little snowflake would probably call the police but I remember sitting on that platform in that old building and he told someone he said put that window up right there They slid that window up. He reached under the pulpit and got a six gun. He laid it on the pulpit and he preached to us, brother Jeff McClain on playing Russian roulette with your soul. And he'd spin it and fire it out the window. And he'd preach a little more. And he'd pick up the gun again and he'd spin it And fire that gun out the window. You say that's a little extreme isn't it Bishop? I want you to understand something. We don't need just another church service. We need the kind of move of God in this hour. That when the preaching is done. People run to the altar for fear of dying without God. And going to hell. That was at least 50 years ago. I've never forgotten that. Probably the greatest moves of God I've been part of happened during a revival. Lives were changed forever by the decisions made in those times. Now I say that so that you know I'm not speaking against revival meetings. Not at all. They could be greatly used of God. But if I could be so brash and brazen tonight to tell you that the revival that comes to First Pentecostal Church is not coming through an evangelist. It's not coming through a man. Hear me right now. It's coming when we, the people of God, understand that God is calling us to wake up and carry and bear the burden responsibility of the move of God that he's desiring to pour out in this city and upon this world we are responsible for praying and seeking God until we hear from heaven and God moves among us and there is a sovereign move of God that sweeps across this building and every time a soul walks through the door they make their way to an altar of prayer they repent of their sins they're buried in baptism in Jesus name and filled with the Holy Ghost it's intriguing I I don't want to get sidetracked here but as I begin to do a little research on revival of the fittest I read of one gentleman that grew up in the evangelical movement. He was talking about how that the evangelical movement had become so competitive and how that it had become so consumer-minded. The churches were trying to serve the best coffee, the best donuts, serve up the best worship, the best singing, the best music. Come on, somebody. I I, I heard it the other night. I think it was Brother Tuttle said it the other night. We are not consumers. Come on, somebody. The church is not consumers. We are to be contributors. But this gentleman was talking about how that, that particular Ideology and mindset and how that it had become so competitive all over the country that it drove him the other way. It drove him back into formalism where they went through all of the things that they do. He said, it drove me back there. I won't tell you where it was, but he said, it pushed me back to there. I'm telling you right now, I've been saying this and pastors have been saying this for some time now, but I'm telling you, when we get this thing right, they're going to come from everywhere, not because uh, we serve them up the right coffee or the right donuts, uh, but they're going to come to the house of God because they could be healed, they could be delivered, they could be saved, they could be set free. Come on, somebody. They can hear the word of God and know that it will change and affect their life forever. Our text comes from 2 Chronicles 7, 14. You know it. The most famous verse on revival in the Bible. If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I will heal their land. Now watch. In the preceding verses, the Lord lays out certain hard times that might come to the people of God. There might be a drought or a plague of locust or an outbreak of disease in the land. Man. That hit quietly. First Kings eight adds another portion. Times such as crushing military defeat or famine or blight. Or cities under siege by the enemy. Or being sent into captivity. And this verse is meant for God's people. Whenever there's trouble in the land. Please hear me. The promise always applies. But in desperate times we need to pay close attention to whose verse this is. It was written For such a time as this, I don't want you to be lulled to sleep tonight. You think everything's going to be all right and all of this is going to turn around and there's going to be a better day and a better time. But you hear this man of God tonight when I tell you it's not about to get better I said it's not about to get better. We are about to be driven into some of the most difficult times that the world has ever experienced in all of history. This is not a political statement. I'm telling you what I see in parallel to the Word of God and what Jesus said when He said this is all going to happen and that's just the beginning Of sorrows. Oh, church, I'm trying to stir something up in you. Remember, revival's not for the world, revival's for the church. We got to wake up and understand if we don't have revival, the church, the world dies and goes to hell. If my people, Who are called by my name, these two phrases in this verse are limited. Everybody say they're limited to those who know the Lord. In this political season, when clergy of all stripes, Rush to support their preferred candidates. It's important to remember 2 Chronicles 7.14 was not written to the Democrats or the Republicans. This is not a blanket invitation that applies to anyone, anywhere, at any time. God limits this invitation to those who are... His people. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, can't nobody pray that prayer like you can pray that prayer. The Lord said, I am reserving that request for my people. This is not for instance... A verse that applies to Hindus. Nor does it apply to mankind in general. This promise applies to those who know Jesus and to no one else. To be called by the name of the Lord means you've called upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Come on, Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, read it. And then to call upon the name of the Lord, we must be buried in his name. In back, come on, somebody help me right here. We must repent of our sins. We must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of our sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Say, Preacher, I'd like to be a part of that church. I'd like to be a part of the people of that name. I just told you how to get there. And you can pray the prayer that'll save your sons. That'll save your daughters. That'll save your neighbors. Come on. That'll turn your family around. Listen to what he said. They'll humble themselves and pray. Seek my face. Here are four conditions for revival. What exactly is humility? Although many answers might be given. Perhaps the simplest is that humility means seeing my true condition before God. Pride is simply taking credit for things that I'm not really responsible for. (laughs) When we start feeling too puffed up about ourselves, we need to remember 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7. Paul asks the question, what do you have that you did not receive? Well, I worked that job and I earned that money. I'm the one that bought that house. I'm the one that's got that car payment. Well, that's nothing. The Bible just says you're a slave to the lender. back up just a minute what do you have that you did not receive the answer is nothing I hesitate to even say this name but not even Bill Gates can say I did this by myself billionaires all over the world. Can't say I got here on my own. Are you hearing me right now? As I look around here and see what God has done in the last 50 years that our family has been here. We take no credit for what's been done. All I can say is look what the Lord has done. And let me just tell you something else. He's not finished yet. I said, he's not finished yet. He's just looking for some more people that'll step into the ring of revival and say, I'll be the one that'll pray. I'll be the one that'll humble myself. I'll be the one. Come on, clap your hands to the Lord. Kudos to anyone who has made it to the top. But just remember this. The strength to do the task. The intelligence to put together the plan. The skill to bring all the parts together. The courage to make it happen. All of it comes directly from God. it's true that between the richest man and the poorest man there's a great gulf in terms of worldly possessions. But on one point the only one that counts there's no difference. Brother Jeff McLean you and I we're getting to the age now where we look in the obituary and folks are almost our same age. And in a few days, I don't know when, I don't want to rush things, God, but in a few days, I'll take my last breath and they'll roll me into a funeral home up and down 53rd Street somewhere and they'll embalm me and they'll put me in a little box and then when they're done saying the last prayer over me, they'll close the lid and they'll take me and put me in a six-foot hole That's already marked over at Memorial Park. And that'll be it. It won't matter what kind of car I have. Won't matter what kind of house I live in. Won't matter what kind of money I have in the bank. But what will matter is that my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. What will matter is that I'll hear him say, "Well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter in to the rest." Come on somebody! We got to have revival because we got to get ready for a rapture. Neither man has anything to boast about, the rich or the poor, on that day. When we understand that, it changes the way we look at life. It changes the way we evaluate ourselves. And it changes the way we treat other people. If we're wise, it also changes our view of worldly success. My wife and I were talking today. I'm getting about that age. I'm sorry to talk about old man stuff, but that's who I am. I sat down today and got on ssa.gov to see how much of my money I can look forward to getting back. And I'll promise you it's not as much as I put in. And my wife said to me, Well, honey, I'm not going to be able to live on that. I said, it's okay, baby. I got life insurance. What do you mean? What do you mean, Bishop? I'm telling you right now. It's funny. And, and, and this, is, this is a little personal, but it's okay. I know that folks think that preachers just, they, they do a couple of things. They just preach, count money, and eat fried chicken. Brother Snow, I looked at, you know, they have a whole list of how much money you made year by year by year. I started paying Social Security in 1966. I was 10 years old. (laughs) But at 10 years old, I was carrying two paper routes, and I was working to make my money. I bought my own bicycle. Oh, you're not going (laughs) to... From 1966 to 1980, 1966 to 1980, I paid in forty-seven thousand dollars. Twelve years, man! I was knocking it down. And and some of those, I had a real job. In my last last several years of my life. Man, I thought I was knocking it down. I looked, and I, I looked at what I paid into Social Security, and not one year did I make it over $50,000. But man, God's been good. I said God's been good. But you know what? That's not going to matter. I, I, know, I know y'all are going to take care of Sister St. Clair when I'm gone, or maybe her neck, no. You're going to take care of her when I'm gone? But it's not going to matter. The thing that matters to me right now is that First Pentecostal Church has a revival in such a way that every seat in this sanctuary is full of a soul that's going to make it to heaven. Come on, church. I'm talking about we need revival. And it's not out there. It's in here. And it starts in you. lift our hands to the Lord for just a minute I won't be much longer we cannot base our self image on our net worth when we believe God isn't impressed with our bank account we'll have time for people because we understand We're all created by the same God. The second thing that we must do to have revival is pray. What sort of prayer is the Lord talking about? It's the sincere prayer of a person who realizes his true condition. Tell somebody close to you, you're just a sinner saved by grace. When I understand everything I have comes as a gift from God. My prayers will be filled with gratitude and love and praise. I will cry out to God confessing how far short I fall of His divine standards. And every... Today I will remember the words of Jesus. Without me ye can do nothing. And then the prophet said, Seek my face. It's a familiar statement in the Old Testament it has to do with the direction of my life it's very similar to the fourth beatitude blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled you see to seek god's face is the hunger for a closer walk with him are you where you want to be with god tonight Are you close to God as you want to be? Or is there something inside of you that says, God, I love you and I thank you for what I feel, but it's not enough. I want more of you than I've ever had. When I wake up in the morning, oh God, I hunger for you. I thirst for your righteousness. God, I want you more than anything else in my life. God's face is the hunger for a closer walk with Him. Many of us know little of this because we fill our stomachs with spiritual junk food that never satisfies us but keeps us from seeking nutritious food. The question is, what are you hungry for right now? Those who are hungry to know God seek one thing. Those who are hungry for a career seek something else. What are you hungry for? It determines what you seek. Are you hungry for revival? You must seek God for revival. And here's one that we don't like. Turn from our wicked ways. At some point, things have to change. I told you a while ago, I, I've been in this church for 50 years. Man, that's hard to believe. I've been in this church for 50 years. I, 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 I want you to know, I've seen the ebb and flow of this assembly. And I'm telling you right now, That this church is not where God wants us to be. Well, Bishop, we come to be encouraged on Wednesday night. You're going to be. God's about to move us into another place in His Spirit. But at some point, things have to change. We must repent. To repent means you turn from your wicked ways. You used to cheat on your wife, but now you don't. You used to be lazy, but now you aren't. You used to fill your mind with bitterness, but now you don't. Once you were angry most of the day, but now you've turned away from anger. Once you were sloppy on the job when the boss wasn't watching. But not anymore. Once you lived in lust for that which God has forbidden you to have. But not anymore. Once you lived to party on the weekends. But that life is part of your past today. Whatever your wicked ways are, Revival means turning from those ways to the ways that please God. It means a definite break from the past and a deliberate change of direction. If you think about it, those four conditions that I just mentioned to you are a progression. Hear me closely. You'll never pray with any fervency until you see your true condition before God. Let me just stop there for just a minute. Jesus said a little bit of something about that. He said, look, before you criticize your brother, you need to reach up and get that out of your eye you got a little something more going on there than you believe. You'll never seek God's face until you begin to get serious about prayer. You'll never turn from your wicked ways until God becomes all important in your life. Humility leads to prayer and prayer leads to seeking God's face and seeking God's face leads to turning from our wicked ways. And the results, the results of revival. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And we need to think carefully about this because it's easy to turn 2 Chronicles, Chronicles 7, 14 into a formula for revival. Certainly the verse lays out a plan for us to follow. But the word then encourages us to believe our crying to God will never be in vain. Our tears are not in vain. Our prayers are not in vain. Our burden is not in vain. Our sadness is not in vain. Our desperation is not in vain. Our prayers are not in vain. And I close with this tonight. Perhaps we could say it this way when we're so dissatisfied with the status quo that we cry out to God for help the answer will indeed come from heaven and things will begin to change. We must not limit God as to the how and the when. He's still the sovereign God who does whatever He pleases. Say, Bishop, I don't like how you put me on the spot tonight. I didn't do anything more than just hold the mirror up tonight and say, this is how God sees you. This is how God sees whether or not you pray or you fast or you look for somebody to evangelize. Here's the mirror. It's how God sees you. You know, I've been around this long enough to know that there are always folks around that can tell you how to build a church. They can tell you how to have revival. They know everything about it. But I want you to understand something. The only way it happens, the only way it happens is for us to understand that God's in control and we are His servants. The best thing you can do is keep your advice and get in the prayer room. Stand. We must not dictate to the Lord how the answer from heaven will come. He will answer in His own time, in His own way, according to His own will. But we have this assurance He will hear, He will forgive. And he will heal. And if we do our part, God will do his. It's a revival of the fittest. What makes a child of God the fittest? It's simple prayer, fasting, word, and faithfulness. If those things are in your life, Revival's coming to your house. I said, revival's coming to your house. And if they're in our lives as the church of the living God, we're going to be the fittest church in this community. And we'll have revival because we'll be strong and we'll be mighty in God and God will pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. Come on, I want you to come as the church right now in Jesus name let let me leave you with this and then we're going to pray together I believe we're living in the last days before the coming of the Lord it certainly sounds like the terrible times that Paul told Timothy about they will come true in our generation they are coming true I don't have any secret information about the date of the Lord's return. I'm simply giving my observation tonight on the basis of what the Bible says about the last days. What if Jesus is coming soon? I said, what if Jesus is coming soon? What difference does it make to us? Can we still expect a move of God in the last days of human history? Take a quick look at Luke. Chapter 18, she was the persistent widow. The Bible said that the reason she got what she came for was because she refused to quit knocking. Come on. And I leave you with this tonight at the end of that story of the persistent widow, Jesus leaves it with this question nevertheless when the son of man comes will he find faith on earth he ends a story like that where'd that come from it wasn't the parable of the second coming, it's about prayer I said it's about prayer. God's looking for somebody on 53rd Street tonight at First Pentecostal Church that I say I'm about to to ramp up my prayer life. I'm about to get into the presence of the Lord, not just Wednesday and Sunday, but every day, every day. Come on, lift your hands and praise Him right now. God, help me to have revival. Help me to have revival. In Jesus' name. There's going to be a revival.